Hello, I'm Paul Bristow and I'm working with the Scottish Communities Climate Action Network to find and share stories of community-led climate action. As we live through and continue to cope with the ongoing pandemic, there's been lots of talk around a new normal. For the first time, many of us have started to question what was so normal about how we lived before anyway. And there's an increased interest in the space where climate action meets social justice, a green and just recovery, universal basic income, ideas once out in the fringes, maybe finding their time. The next few months and years, we'll see a battle to frame and tell that story, to make those changes. We need to take this opportunity to show how what we've seen in these last few months can help us imagine better and continue to make the case for action on the climate emergency. And so I want to learn more. Sometimes it maybe feels like everyone's just ploughing their own furrow, out in a limb, just getting on with it. But the collective effort across the country is remarkable. So over the next few months, I'm speaking to people and communities across Scotland to hear their stories of climate action, of hope and change. From big changes to small steps. I want to hear it all. And then together, we can look beyond the new normal to something better. More than any other time I can remember, the arrival of spring this year does feel like slowly wakening from hibernation. And I remember all the times previously when I'd tell people, oh, I just want to hibernate over the winter, stay indoors and not come out. You should always be careful what you wish for. As we shuffle back to whatever normality will be, we're hearing a lot about the impacts the lockdown in the last year have had on mental health and loneliness and social isolation. So this episode, we're going to do something a little different and hear from two social enterprises working to address that, particularly with outdoor and nature-based activities. And we also have a couple of short stories to share from a recent storytelling training day. Hopefully lots to get us thinking as we emerge blinking into the spring sunshine. In 2019, our colleagues at Senscot ran a programme with Glasgow Social Enterprise Network called Glasgow Pockets and Prospects. Supported by Scottish Government funding via the Scottish Community Alliance, the idea was to create a pick-and-mix programme of activities which community anchor organisations could purchase and offer to their local community to address social isolation. Last year, the partnership expanded to include Scottish Communities Health and Wellbeing and the Community Health Exchange to develop a wider reaching project called Collaborating in Communities to Improve Mental Health. The principle is the same though. Community organisations have access to a small budget to purchase activities and services from social enterprises that contribute towards improved mental health. This enables community organisations who understand the needs of their local community to tap into service they may previously have been unaware of or been unable to afford. And of course, it supports social enterprise suppliers as well. One of the groups delivering on the programme is OpenEye, which specialises in participatory photography and filmmaking. This is founder, Becky Duncan. 
I'm Becky Duncan. I run OpenEye, which is a community interest company, and we provide photography and video services for our charities and social enterprises in Scotland. But we also run participatory photography projects. So sometimes that's for advocacy reasons, telling stories to create change. Sometimes it's for more therapeutic purposes. So we take people into nature to take photographs as like a form of art therapy, for example. Pockets and Prospects is being run by Scottish Community Alliance and Senscot, and it's basically matching up community initiatives with social enterprise suppliers to improve health and well-being for different communities. So the project I'm involved with it is the Wellbeing of the Woods project. Wellbeing of the Woods project has been running with funding from Scottish Forestry since about 2017, so we've been going for about four years, and the whole ethos is to engage with groups in an outdoor environment and it's purely to improve well-being feel good photo walks in nature where we basically take a group out into the woods and provide them with cameras and we go for photo walks and it's just a really great experience folk take pictures of the trees and reflections on the pond and we kind of get lost in that natural meditation if you like but it's also there's the creativity and there's the nature side of it but there's also the social aspect of coming together as a group and learning and developing and sharing stories and getting inspired by each other. Um, it's a really beautiful project. So it's one of the best I've ever done, definitely. And then when I heard about Pockets and Prospects at the Senscot conference last year, I thought this is a great fit for the Wellbeing of the Woods project. It's quite flexible. It can work on it as a one-off workshop or a series of six to eight workshops with a diverse range of different groups. Yeah, I'm really excited to be doing Pockets and Prospects this year. The idea of a project that encourages us to walk and enjoy the landscapes around us seems ideally suited to the last year. But Wellbeing of the Woods has been operating for a while. It's a project that's been going for a number of years, but I think it's increased in significance and impact over COVID and lockdown and recovery and the run-up to COP26 and people's engagement with the outdoors and using outdoor spaces as a place of natural health and well-being. Um, it seems to have taken on more significance with people, the, the methodology that we're using. It's a methodology that can be used across all kinds of natural environments. Um, I did a project similar to it about 10 years ago with Scottish Natural Heritage. We went to beaches and various uphills and things, um, down by Loch Lomond or whatever. But the Wellbeing of the Woods project in particular benefits by taking groups into urban woodland environments. That's where it works the best. So taking people from the city and getting kind of lost in nature, which is really close to them. And for that reason, Pollock Country Park um, has been a favourite location for the project. So the north woods from Pollock Country Park, it's so accessible from Glasgow city centre. You can get there in 10 minutes on the train, but there's bus stops just outside or lots of folk walk or cycle there or parking spaces available whatever so um, it's an accessible green space to get to but when you're wandering about you can feel like you're truly lost in nature which is really lovely and um, so yeah Pollock Country Park is one of my favourite spots for doing it but the methodology can go anywhere really any green space is it's possible to do this project it's really about engaging a group in their natural landscape and it might be a landscape that people are already used to or it could be one that's brand new to them the idea of taking a camera means that you're looking at it in a slightly different way and you're considering it in a different way. And the weather's changing all the time. So even if it's a park that you walk a dog in like a thousand times before, you're going in with a camera and a group of folk 
and you're looking at, I don't know, patterns on the leaf and suddenly it's a completely new experience. So yeah, it's transferable anywhere really. And the impact of that concentration in nature, it's really incredible actually. Um, to give an example of, of the impact it can have, I worked with a group um, from Glasgow Association of Mental Health a few years ago. And there was a, gent, a lovely guy in that group and he had um, anxiety and depression issues. And he told me at the beginning of the project that he didn't think he'd be able to take photographs because his hands would shake so often. So he couldn't hold the camera steady to take pictures. And even on that first session, after two hours of being in amongst the trees, he was amazed that he could take pictures really, really steadily. He was like over the moon, he was like, I can do this. <laughs> and it was just being in that environment, that beautiful, relaxing, calm environment that he was able to get creative. Obviously it has to be a safe space that's facilitated properly. Um, and there's the support that he had from other group members and there was a whole load of things that added up to him being able to hold the camera without shaking, you know, but there's definitely something being in a natural environment and being creative in a safe supported way that can help people feel really, really good. So. Like many of us, Becky senses a moment of change and the opportunity we have to build on one of the few positives from the last year. I have a theory that if people engage in the outdoors, they're going to care about them. And when people care about stuff, they're going to take action. They're going to support action more. So instead of the climate emergency being seen as some massive, huge issue that somebody else is going to tackle, if we can engage with our green spaces on a local basis and we really care about them, we want to make a difference to it. Um, and I think if we feel confident and empowered in our everyday existence, we're going to support change on a bigger scale. So on the one hand, the Wellbeing of the Woods project is about going into nature and having a good time for a couple of hours. But the bigger picture is engagement and caring and action for the climate as a bigger whole. So that, I think that's quite exciting. There's definitely been an awakening, I think, probably around the world, as folk have had to, this great pause that we've all had to go through with COVID. Um, and the idea that we were only allowed out once a day to take our exercise, everybody relished that moment, didn't they? Like to go out and really appreciate that one hour in nature that we had or whatever. And I think people discovered their own local spaces more. They started appreciating them more. I certainly appreciated my local spaces more. Usually at the weekend, we'd be running off in our camper van with the kids and we go camping with pals or whatever so it's not that we didn't engage with green spaces but I really engaged in right in my locality with this five mile radius and I've discovered places that I had no idea about before and I think that's been replicated by so many different people and places that we maybe took for granted we are now really appreciating and just being able to focus on the simplicity of the natural world and the changing seasons what we've had to endure with COVID has made us appreciate the simple things in life. And um, I think our appreciation of our green spaces has grown exponentially throughout this process. The project has a welcome focus on people's personal creative process, but there have been opportunities to showcase what's been created and more opportunities coming up for people to get involved. The Wellbeing in the Woods project has worked with about 250 people so far from about 22 different countries. Most of the projects have been with um, folk with refugee backgrounds. Um, and it's been a kind of form of orientation, if you like, or um, just getting to know green spaces. And so often the photos become almost like a photo diary. 
a discovery of the green places, but also a photo diary of their time in these groups. Um, so those pictures can be quite private and they're for them, really. But occasionally, somebody will take an amazing picture of like light coming through the leaves and they're really, really proud of it. Um, and they can donate them to the Well Green of the Woods project. Um, so we've got a collection of a few hundred images which we put together into an exhibition which um, we've taken to various outlets. Um, Scottish Mental Health and Arts Festival, we had an exhibition at Kelvin Grove Museum a couple of years ago. And we've just put together a wee video that we're going to launch for this Scottish Mental Health and Arts Festival online. Um, we've had little wee exhibitions at the partner organisations. Um, we've had exhibitions in the woods where the pictures have been up hanging amongst the trees. As I say, the project's been funded by Scottish Forestry and we've looked to engage with specific groups um, groups with protected characteristics. So either whether that's mental health issues or um, people with refugee backgrounds. Um, so there's been a specific objective, if you like, to engage with certain groups along the way. But when it comes to Scottish Mental Health and Arts Festival, we usually run open sessions where anybody can book on. So that will be advertised in the, the SMAF brochure in 2021, providing that we can meet every to end then there'll be some open sessions for that as well so yeah that's quite good and with pockets and prospects um a certain number of organizations are getting funding to run the project um, through the pockets and prospects program and all the details for that are available on the sensecot website so yeah the wild project is part of that too worth checking out if you're able to develop a project with becky perhaps with the funding support on offer and you can find out more about the program at collaboratingincommunities.org. In mid-March, I ran another of our story workshops for SCAN members, so it was a really wonderful way to meet people and spend a day, and at the end of each day, participants have created a story of their own climate action. Sometimes that's personal reflections, sometimes explanations of a project they're working on, maybe poems. It's just a lovely tapestry of individual actions and response. And we always give folks the opportunity to share their stories on the podcast. And we have two for this episode. This first one is from Catriona Spaven Dunn, taking us on a bit of a journey by taking a leaf out of Rob Hopkins' book and telling us a story from an imagined future. A&E is an art and ecology programme based at St Mary's Episcopal Cathedral in Edinburgh. A&E stands for Accident and Emergency, art and ecology, art and education. A&E's response to the climate and ecological crisis is practical, imaginative and hopeful. One strand of the A&E programme will work with children and youth in facilitating agroecology and nature education projects. This piece is told from the perspective of an adult in 2050 who, as a child, participated in the A&E programmes and became part of Central Edinburgh's ecological regeneration. The kingfisher flies from bank to bank as though weaving a web in flashes of orange-blue. A woman walks by, flower-dusted, from the upstream mill to one further towards the fourth. They sell the breads and pastries in shops along William Street, brightly coloured facades of fiercely independent social enterprises, bakery, brewery, remakery. We sit and wait for otters and remember when we planted the trees that became forests. They are our traffic lights now and their colour change is season change. 
The leaves don't always fall or regrow as they used to, but we talk to the plants outside the song school and add eggshells to the soil, cover over the seedlings with cloches in winter and bathe them in sun in summer. We grew up near the water of Leith, before the mills and the polytunnels and the solar panels, before the otters came home and before the kingfishers flew freely above the writhing eels, moving from Pentland Heatherburn to the wind farm forests of the Firth of Forth. We grew up singing, learning to count with seeds in our hands, harvesting wild garlic and creating community kitchens on street corners. The Georgian Newtown got greener, the grey walls replaced with vertical gardens and washing lines slung across roads, manor place a tapestry of shared fabrics. Our community is no longer rent inflation, shirt collars and ties. It has relocalized, horizontalized and thrived. There are no cars here now, just footpaths and bike lanes leading to the canal or the tram stop. There are fire pits and story circles, the things we did when we were we too, when we learned about A&E, accident and emergency, art and education, art and ecological imagination. We didn't know then how it would be now, that we would paint the streets and throw mud to the ground and grow and grow, that we would grow, that the seedlings would grow and the trees would grow and that the roots below this majestic medieval city would interweave and form webs like underground cathedrals. We didn't know that the swifts would roost in the spires and the sparrows and the swallows would dip and dive over the seeds we traded or kept in our pockets for later. We didn't know that we would wait for otters as the waterways meandered through city streets, urban, made agricultural, made ecological. We didn't know that the offices would go, that the roofs would become panels and the water would bring us bread. We didn't know, and yet we imagined. We didn't know, and yet we made it happen. Just beautiful. And we'll have another story to share at the end of today's podcast. Now we're going to hear from another group supported via the Pockets and Prospects programme with a focus on well-being. Weekday Wow Factor. This is Project Founder, Asna Salas. Uh, Weekday Wow Factor is a social enterprise and recently it received um, charity status. So we've just registered with Oscar last month, actually. So we've been running for four years now and uh, our aims are to work with people aged 50 and above um, to enhance physical, mental and social health and well-being to reduce social isolation and loneliness, uh, reduce health inequalities and ageism in our communities. So we do this by introducing very exciting uh, activities such as a daytime disco, uh, we go speed boating, we go zip sliding, cycling, go for rural walks up mountains using chairlifts. Uh, we've even been surfing. So. Uh, we, we have a range of exciting activities on offer, which are quite unique, I think, in our communities. We offer something different. I used to work in the NHS for many years, and during my work, I realised that some of the things that I was, some of the opportunities that I was um, uh, signposting community members to, the uptake was quite poor. And so I was really interested in motivating activities so the idea for the daytime disco really came about because I was working with some 
younger people with dementia, actually, in their early 40s and early 50s, and they had advanced stages of their dementia. And I I noticed that uh, music was very powerful. Just before the research came out, I just saw it in my clinical practice. And, And so because of that, I was looking for a place where Uh, the community members could go dancing and all I could find was was dance classes where they may be perceived as being disruptive or they may not be able to follow a class. So it needed to be kind of freestyle from my point of view. So so I approached my favourite nightclubs as when I was a student (laughs) in Glasgow and uh, to my surprise all of them said yes. Uh, So I was just looking at it from a health and safety and accessibility hat on of all the nightclubs. I did find a bungalow in the West End of Glasgow, the Santry nightclub. And that's where it all began. We started our pilot sessions at the at the nightclub every Monday morning. It was a healthy disco, so there's no alcohol served. Anyone could come along really, but we were targeting people age 50 and above. So from then, uh, we, we also had other activities that people wanted to do. So we would risk assess those activities, try to make them as accessible as possible and try to adapt the activity so more people can join in in our communities. Um, so that's how the zip sliding started, the speed boating. We've had murder mystery lunches that we host um, quite a lot of um, at the House of the Art Lover and various venues so yeah something a bit different we don't we don't fit a box that's for sure like any new idea or solution it can take time for things to fall into place resilience is important when you first start off as a social enterprise nobody in the community knows who you are and if there's something that i've learned like the first day of the disco nobody showed up you know we started with the zero number and we have very slowly built that up and Pockets and Prospects this just accelerated that process for us. We're very grateful that it existed because it meant that we could build some relationships with, with fellow organisations around us who got to know a wee bit more about what we do and uh, having, having that money to be utilised between organisations is such a fantastic idea to, as stepping stones to build relationships. So, um, so for example, we did some work with Arden Glen Housing Association. Our murder mystery moved from the House of the Art Lover. We had additional ones in Castle Milk for the local community there. So it, w- it was really lovely to work together and get to know the community out in Castle Milk. And then we were working with the Women's Centre in Glasgow and uh, and some of the ladies from there came to our daytime disco so they got a flavour, the community members got a flavour of what we were doing. Of course there will be the opportunity for activities beyond Zoom in the coming months and the group are building on what's been successful and hope to be heading outside. One of the things that we really enjoyed was cycling and we know how good cycling is for the environment and for our health as well. So it plays dual kind of purposes there. Uh, and we, we were working with Free Wheel North, which is a brilliant charity in Glasgow, where they have bikes that are accessible for many community members. So we actually kept that relationship on Zoom more recently. So in January, they had a cycling challenge that they put up as a form of fundraising 
thing. So we were very interested in supporting them because, uh, you know, we, we have some very fond memories of spending time at Freeville North quite a few times in the spring, this time, this time, not last year, unfortunately, we were in lockdown, but previous to that and in the summer, uh, we used to go there regularly. So we wanted to support them and we were thinking, how, how do we do this? How do we do cycling from our house? So uh, we were looking at it and we managed to adapt it with some pedal exercisers. I don't know if you've seen those before, Paul. It's these things here. I don't know if you've seen them. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I was speaking to other healthcare workers, such as physiotherapists who I know, and they said that they regularly use them in clinical practice for people with poor mobility. So we decided to try them out. And uh, and there was a lady who already had a case study of, the, of using them for many years. And she felt as if it really helped her, her mobility. So yeah, we managed to take part in the cycling challenge using these cycles. <laughs> it was great fun and we still meet up. So every Friday afternoon, got our bikes in front of us and we go at our, at our own pace and within our own abilities um, and we stop if you need to. So there's no pressure at all. And we watch some videos and we've been to the Amalfi Coast <laughs> and we've been along Glasgow Canal. So we've been cycling all over the shots. Yes, uh-huh. good fun. Not too long now till the real thing. Maybe not the Amalfi Coast, but I'm guessing you can manage a canal. That should be fine. <laughs> there are lots of ways for you to access and get involved with what Weekday Wow Factor are doing. Well, we've got a very active Facebook page. So for, for those people who, community members who use Facebook, you're more than welcome to join us there and see what the latest activities are. Uh, we post daily what the activity is going to be for the following day. We ask for £5 and for £5 a week, you have access to at least two or three activities a day. So you've got a big choice of activities that you might want to take part in. You're more, more than welcome to, to send us a, drop us a message there on Facebook. Or we also have a website. So it's weekdaywildfactor.com. And you can send us a message there. An email address to weekdaywildfactor at gmail.com. And we have a phone number too. Recovery. We hear that word so much now, same with resilience, and we need to be careful that it doesn't lose context and meaning. There's a green and just recovery, of course, and for many of us, there's personal recovery from this last extraordinary year. And like many, I believe social enterprises of all shapes and sizes have a critical role to play in both those recoveries. We'll finish today with another story from our storytelling training. This is from Catriona Gall, and it's a very personal reflection on her decision to become involved with Extinction Rebellion. This is Revolution of One. Where to begin? There's no neat starting point. Memory is tricky. Events overlap. The sequencing is lost. I'm sitting on the tube in London. Hot, exhausted air my attention caught by an advert of dinosaurs around a card table. That's how I remember it, with the words heading for extinction underneath. Later I see protests on TV and find myself inspired. Maybe I can just run away and join them, I think. Join this extinction rebellion. Leave my flat, my job, become a full-time protester. 
but it's not that easy. I have responsibilities. I have my job and I'm already trying to do my bit. I've worked hard to get where I am, now providing advice on the environmental impacts of offshore wind farms. Isn't this enough? There's always a bit of me unrestful, a bit which thinks I could do more. Deep down, I have to acknowledge there's really not that much to distinguish me from any other middle-aged, middle-class, 44-year-old. We're all in this together. We're the generation who can do something about it, so we're told. But what exactly is it that we should be doing? In the Blegowrie co-op, I stop and am stood staring at the biscuit aisle. I'm trying to find biscuits that are made without palm oil. The options are vanishingly small. A pack of shortbread? Some own brand Jaffa cakes? When did this happen, I think? How is it that everything has palm oil in it? Even flora? I mean, wasn't their whole marketing based on the fact that they use sunflower oil? But that was in the 90s, and I keep forgetting I'm old now. By the time I make my selection, half a dozen other people have already bought their biscuits with palm oil in them. Still, I don't think my actions are futile. I believe that everyone needs to do what they're able to do in the place where they are, in the time that they have. And I'm on the tea fund at work, taking a stand, ditching the Nescafe for fair trade and braving the wrath of my colleagues for not supplying a McVitie's chocolate digestive. The people at work are divided about my actions, some supportive, others grumbling. But I sustain it for three months, then feel myself somewhat deflated when the next person comes on shift and it all goes back to normal. What is normal anyway? That was then, pre-Covid. This is now. And I find myself hopeful that we'll have the wherewithal to begin a new normal, to shift our habits to make the small but important changes we all can make. The time of Covid has been a time of change for me. I didn't run away, but I did change jobs and I did join Extinction Rebellion. I feel I've found my protest home, my protest heart. I feel like finally there's enough people concerned about the same things I'm concerned about to make a difference. I find that I have hope. Surprising, new, refreshing. The climate and ecological emergencies become something that everyone's talking about, no longer sidelined, no longer a fringe concern. I can stop banging on about them to my family and friends. The environment, blah, blah, blah. I still remember the cartoon drawn of me by a friend back when I was 21. So long ago, and yet it still holds true. The friend no longer in my life, but the tune on my record player still the same. So, what about the environment, blah, blah, blah? Are enough of us concerned? Are there enough of us to make a difference? I find myself hopeful, hopeful of the pause for thought that COVID has given us, the chance to see things differently, to hope that we won't go back to how things were, but will build back better, effect a just and green recovery. And in my own small way, I do my bit. I've started a local group for Extinction Rebellion in Perth, and I've volunteered to help with the UN COP26 Conference of Parties in Glasgow. I also undertook my first piece of non-violent direct action, stickering all the ATMs in Perth to highlight the links between high street banks and the fossil fuel industry. 
Some of my friends were concerned about me, worried about me wandering by myself alone late on a Friday night. But I find myself energised and alert, wearing my Covid mask, the stickers ready in my pocket. It only takes a second to sticker an ATM, but the rush is fantastic. I really enjoy myself. Wake up, wake up, the stickers cry. That's all we need to do. Wake up to the situation we find ourselves in. Wake up and do something about it. So this is me, an individual of the Western world, a rebellion of one, yet feeling like there's others out there like me that I'm not protesting alone. I feel connected to others and not just through the screen share on Zoom. I feel that we're finally seeing a movement of movements, civil society, third sector organisations, faith groups and activists all coming together to demand change. And I feel hopeful that each of us alone together can affect real change. There's a rainbow of hope reaching far into the future. I'd like to thank Becky Duncan from Open Eye Kick and Pazna Salas from Weekday Wow Factor. And also Mary Sinclair from Senscott who approached us about showcasing some of the opportunities on offer through the Collaborating in Communities project. And a big thank you to Catriona Spaven Don and Catriona Gall for allowing us to share the stories they created at our storytelling workshop. Thanks for listening to A Thousand Better Stories from the Scottish Communities Climate Action Network. If there's something happening in your community, be sure to let us know. You can drop me a line at stories at scottishcommunitiescan.org.uk and we're on Twitter as well at scottccan and on Facebook. Just search for Scottish Communities Climate Action Network.